Hello, welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. A treat today, we have a race car driver on the show, Denny Hamlin. It's funny, I asked a bunch of people to send in their questions, and of course, many of them said, why did he crash you so much? Of course I asked that. He's a fantastic driver. He has 48 wins. He started in the Cup Series in 2005. He has yet to get that elusive championship, but I tell you what, as far as long as I can remember, he's in the mix every year at the end of the season for the championship at the last race. He's incredible. He's a good friend. Yes, he crashed me a whole bunch in a short span of time. Time, but uh, we totally talked about that. We talked about the sport. We talked about relationships. I didn't think we'd go there, but we kind of launch off in that space. We talk about the sport and where it's going and where it's been and just like, what does it need? And we talk about life and just kind of the things that he wants to do. Enjoy the show. Please hit subscribe. I really appreciate when you do and you show the support. I love to do this show. So by subscribing and watching the show, you're supporting uh, that mission of planting seeds and sharing information. And um, as I say in the intro, walking each other home. So enjoy the show. So I'm just going to pick up where we left off, which was uh, asking if you wanted to go to Burning Man with me someday, because other drivers have definitely like I was sitting in line getting out. It's called the Exodus at 9 p.m. And I didn't get out of it until 10, sorry, 7 a.m. It was 10 hours. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to like post a bunch of stuff on Instagram. And I had like messages coming in from people at like 3 a.m., which was six, six something a.m. on the East Coast. And they're all like, oh, my God, how was it? So are you in? I mean, yeah, I, I think that uh, it would certainly be a different experience for me. Um, you know, it seems like the hours of operation there are a little <laughs> different from what the, the normal uh, hours in which I would sleep, which would be awesome. Uh, it seems like it's, is it in the middle of I thought, nowhere? Yeah, it's totally. Nowhere, I thought right? you were a night owl. You're not a night owl? I've, I mean, I've, you're a party I've animal. So I... I, I, back in my day, back <laughs> in my day, I, I've, uh, I've, I've partied enough for many uh, lifetimes. But, uh, you know, now that uh, I've got a couple kids, it's just uh, things are different now. You know, it's just uh, my days start earlier. I have meetings every single day that start earlier. And uh, yeah, I just... By the time I get, you know, the kids put to bed or we get the kids put to bed, it's it's done time for me. It is different. You go to bed at about six, seven, eight a.m. Like you a lot of times people want to watch the sunrise. Um, I saw it a few times. Um, I saw the full sunrise once and then you sleep for a few hours, like three or four hours was usually what I averaged. And then you just kind of get up. It's also hot AF in that trailer that I rented. Cause trust me, you don't want to take your bus. Cause it's like a complete mess. It gets, it gets inside the bus, even with the doors and windows shut. It's just, can't, it can't help it. It finds a way. And are, um, people t- are they tenting out there? I mean, yeah. just all kinds of different accommodations, whatever yep. you choose to stay in. And this for how many days? Well, I was there for about a week. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. When I was talking to my friend who went with me, Nada, I was like, so how long should we go? Like three or four days or something? She's like, um, you kind of go for the week. And I was like, oh, shit, this is serious. So you just have to like to really submit to being dirty. And you're sweaty. fine with that. I've, I've witnessed you're fine with that. Wait, you're fine with we- being one with nature and whatever surroundings oh, are around you. I'm not saying you know, that's a good thing. You adapt to your, your environment. You're like a lizard. True. 
Wow. I'm so glad I'm going to ask you the next question in my mind after we get done with this topic. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. But it's like I've never seen anything like it because it's all it's like total truth. That's what it feels like. Like If you want to be naked, you're naked. Like there's this one thing that you can go do called the human car wash, human car wash. Dr. Bronner's is this company that has a camp. And so that's who puts it on. And you wait in line and you and you get in and almost everyone goes completely naked. And is it like a like yeah, like a automated. Here's my turn to get kind of. You get hosed down <laughs> with soap. Then I think that you can. I think there's help. Possibly, I'm not sure. I didn't do it. I was almost going to do it, but it was a whiteout the last day that they were open. And then you get rinsed off, and then there's a dance floor down below where wow. you dry off. I'd have to get really comfortable with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I tell really you what. There are a lot of really comfortable people there. That's all I'm going to say. Or right. if you want to be totally clothed, if you want to like, you know, if you want to go to the temple and cry and, you know, mourn somebody, like there was a lot of memorials for people. Um, that's what the temple is for. Um, you know, there's just like basically whatever you want, whatever you want, anything you want. I just I just got done watching the uh, Woodstock 99 on Netflix and I'm like, Wow. So it, it seems like what you're describing has got a mix of that, but a lot more spiritual, I guess. Yeah, 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 probably. Um, I mean, I haven't seen that, but there's definitely um, there's definitely some intention to it, like the spiritual intentional part of it. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've like slipped a little bit into spiritualness a little bit. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's as you get older, you start thinking about the why. And so for me, it's, that's changed over the years. And so, you know, you, you're trying to, you know, figure out what is the greater purpose of all this? You know, I've, I've achieved everything that I ever would have imagined. How can I, what, what's next? What, you know, what is next for me? What is the greater goal in all of this? So it, it's just, uh, it's interesting. I never would have thought I'd be at this point of my life where I see things through the perspective that I do see them. Oh, tell me more. Like thoughts. <laughs> like, so what are some things that surprise you that you think of now or that you want to do? Yeah. I mean, like go naked in the human car wash. Like, are you surprised that you want to do that? Uh, no, nothing surprises me, especially with the way that my mind works. No. Um, but yeah, I just think that, uh, I never really understood until you, you have kids that people are saying, you know, you still have fun, but the kind of fun that you have is different. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when I was much younger, you know, it was very tough coming into the NASCAR Cup Series when I came in because I, I, I came through like a bullet. Like I went from working at my dad's trailer shop, making 10 bucks an hour to running in the Cup Series, making millions in about 16 months. Like that was it. So I just uh, really had a tough time with that transition of like going from a normal everyday job um, to then being vaulted into I'm in the limelight, uh, I'm, I'm popular, I'm successful in this in this mm -hmm. field. And how do I um, how do I bring that all in? And, it, and listen, that takes its toll on a lot of different things. It takes its toll on relationships. It takes the toll on your friends that are back at home. Hey, you left us, you forget us. And, you know, so you get pulled in so many directions. I don't know that, you know, really I did it 
the, the right way for the first five to six years of my career. What did you do that you would have done different? I've always been close with my friends. I actually brought two of my high school friends down to live with me. Uh, but, you know, I just think that uh, I didn't treat my relationships fairly um, early in my career. Friendships or relationship, like relationships. intimate relationships? Yeah, intimate, intimate relationships. Yeah. yeah. Just because, um, you know, I got kind of full of myself at, you know, during a certain period, just that, you know, I was, I was successful. I just really, it's one thing to make it to, to NASCAR's top level, then be successful in my early twenties, mid twenties. Like, you know, I wanted to live it up. I wanted to be like Dale jr. And, and when he was having parties on, uh, you know, Tuesday night or Thursday night, Is it I called like, clubby. Yeah. Something like that. I was just coming into it when he was starting to have that. And he, and he just started his saloon, his old, you know, old time saloon back by his house. I'm like, well, I'm going to put on parties too and challenge his parties. And so, you know, you know, it just, that was kind of what happened. And and so we would go to the local uh, bar up here called the Rusty Rudder on the lake. Mm -hmm. And I remember we would just take every Tuesday night, we would go there and I'd have friends. We'd come play cards at my house for an hour or two. And then we would go and uh, go to the bar at the Rusty Rudder and recruit the entire bar to just come back to my house. I mean, it was four or 500 people every single week that would come to the house. I mean, my, my liquor bill was probably around 16, 1800 a week in my house. In your house. Like, oh, yeah. That's not but it was just open bar. Everyone's just is like, you know, yeah. let's, let's go party. And so uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I remember those days where I used to be able to just uh, go all night, like you were saying. And as long <laughs> as I got myself to 12 o'clock the next day, I my body would turn the corner and I'd be like, okay, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm ready to go. What's bring on the next day. Now it's like, put me to bed and don't bother me for 48 hours. Like I just, I don't have the capacity to do it anymore. I mean, age, you know, is undefeated, right? I just can't defy, uh, you know, you know, that chemistry. And so um, I just got into other things, you know, for me back then, it was just having fun and being with friends. And I really didn't care about, you know, you know, the intimate relationships that much. And so I think that, you know, it just went through a transition where, you know, I was like, you know, look, let's look at my age. I'm almost 30 or I'm 30. I, I don't have any kids yet. I'm not married yet. Like, it's just kind of, you know, w- what's next? Like, I, I want to well, have now a you're 40. Yeah, I want to have a legacy beyond just being a race car driver and then I'm gone. Right. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's just it's a steady evolution that I went through in my career in a balance that, uh you know, I had fun. I, I don't know that I would take back a whole lot of it, uh, but certainly it's just different now. You know, I, I'm certainly more uh, calm uh, now around my friends. I, I still am very outgoing and, and love to have a good time, but it's just very few and far in between now. I mean, maybe once a month I'll go break bus loose or something, but uh, even that is is pretty rare. When fun Denny hangs from the rafters, literally, it's a really good time. <laughs> otherwise, I know, I know. You've otherwise, Debbie, Debbie Denny, Debbie yeah. Downer Denny. I know you got it. You got me pegged. It's just, uh, you know, we've hung, out, we've hung out enough that like you guys have always tried to get me to like come out of my shell and, and really, you know, bust loose. But yeah, I don't know. It just y'all caught me a, a few few years too late. 
When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> we still see it every now and again. Um, look, what do you, but I mean, I feel like you're kind of, you're saying a lot of stuff that exists for a lot of people in general, but especially, you know, maybe there's some of this yo-yo more with fame. What do you think it is? What do you think? Do you think it's an age thing or do you think it's just, do you think it's more about accessibility? Yeah, I mean that's certainly a big part of it for sure, right? I mean, uh, the the days of like you know going and meeting someone at a bar and whatever, mm -hmm. right? And that being a relationship like that's it's not existing anymore, right? It's right at your fingertips, and so I think mm -hmm. that that is, is, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> well, I mean, it just depends, but I think that it's just so different now that um, you know the accessibility that people have. I mean, you don't even have to really go court anyone anymore face to face, right? It's all interactive. And so sometimes I think you lose that human connection at times. And even I'm still guilty of like, you know, falling into the trap of uh, technology and not really engaging enough in human relations yeah. like I should be. What's the difference between dating back in the 2000s early 2000s when you were mid 2000s when you started in cup and now I don't know because I was married and then I've been in really I was in relationships until I was 36 or seven or whatever it was so for me it's like more new to be dating I'm like oh this is what happens when you're not interested you kind of just don't really text anymore I'm like I feel like such a dick you know but I'm like I don't know what I'm supposed to say like you just kind of let it go I mean I don't know what's the difference yeah, I, you know, what I've really been guilty of is, you know, and, and that, I went from one relationship to another, you know, and, you know, for me, it was I was with my high school girlfriend for 10 years. Um, and then when I got kind of full of myself and, and she left me and in 2007, I think it was, um, I just, you know, kind of went through a transition where I just wanted to have fun, honestly, and I just uh, uh, I played around a lot. and you know, and then I kind of met, you know, uh, Jordan, who's, um, who I've been on and off with for 14 years now. And, um, you know, we've kind of mended some fences and really have, uh, started to, you know, bond that connection again. And we have two kids together. I met her, uh, at an NBA game. She was, uh, one of the dancers for the, uh, the Charlotte Hornets and I was season ticket holders. And of course, uh, I'm sitting around and I'm, you know, at that time I just kind of broken up uh with my uh high school girlfriend i'm like oh wow i like her and of course a, a friend of ours you know 
uh, reached over and I was like, you know, get her attention, try to get her number. And they did. And uh, that Austin doing your dirty work. No, actually, it was uh, Ron and Jay White. Ron, Ron and Jay White. They were on the other <laughs> side, and they talked to her, and uh, it was it was cool because, um, you know, right from the get go, I was just like, you know, oh, this is you know, I like I this is the one. Like I, I like her on a different level than you know all these girls that have Jordan met. Fish. Everybody know she's uh, my girl. Everybody know. Everybody know. Everybody um, knows. <laughs> but I just I just got to the point where you know. I was like, you know, I want to have another steady relationship. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think at, at times I, I, I made plenty of mistakes along the way. And, and even at the beginning of that relationship continued to make uh, mistakes that I shouldn't have. And, you know, just really needed to kind of find myself and figure Aww. out you know, what I needed to do to be a better partner, because ultimately the cycle was continuing. And, um, you know, I, I have aspirations of getting married one day. I have aspirations of having uh, you know, uh, more kids. And so, I mean, I need, you know, I, wow. I have to Jordan's do something different. You're already pregnant again. No, 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 definitely. No, no, she's not. But you know, I, I am 41. Like it's, you know, I don't want to be an old dad. I want, you know, I, I'd like to have a son. I have two great girls that are amazing, but, um, you know, even in that relationship that has been on and off for 14 years, um, it really, it was the first relationship that really forced me to kind of look at myself and say, well, if this relationship isn't what I'm hoping it is like, what, what can I do to change it? And what can I do to, um, you know, change the result? Um, can I do things differently? And so, uh, I spent some time away and, um, I went to a place that really, I felt like you know, changed me as a person. And, and I just think that that was a, a game changing moment for me to kind of be educated about, you know, what my family of origin, how that plays a factor in, in my values and the things that I'm into. Yeah. And, um, and, and really was an eye opening experience for me to, to kind of change as a, as a person to try to be a better person, not only a better person, but a better friend, um, a better, a better dad, all those things have, I think, really proud for the better. You. I'm really proud of you. That felt so good to hear from you. And it feels clear. Like, would you recommend everyone learn about their parents? I mean, yeah, I mean, what I've learned, you know, and and a lot of there's so many self-help books that that you can read about this. But, you know, I I thought it was better for me to go do a crash course. I spent um, a a week somewhere and just kind of, you know, it was 12 hour days. It was really hard. And it was like, you know learning to, you know, not, you know, get the kind of shame out of you and and understand where your values came from. Like, what did I see as a child that made me have the values that I have now? And how can I change those values if if they're not, you know, right? And so um, it was very unique. You know, we we did some interesting exercises. It was um, draw um, a traumatic, your worst memory as a child with your non-dominant hand. Like that was a homework assignment. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I spent hours drawing this picture and it was just, you know, and they said, the reason you do it with your non-dominant hands, you don't judge yourself based off of, you know, how, you know, Uh you expect yourself to be perfect when you do it with your dominant hand, you expect it to be a mess when you do it with your non-dominant. So it just lowers your expectations and makes it so you don't judge yourself and instead just kind of let it flow freely. Do you think doing all the work that you've done 
in the last few years that, you know, going back in time, you would have crashed me as many times as you did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you, I did not crash you at all since stop it things happened but you yeah, totally I, crashed I me like I was, I was three times in a week i know i know i was a little aggressive for sure um but you know usually when i crash my friends it's only because i'm trying to help but uh yeah, yeah I, I definitely did. i'm glad you just dumped my primary car my backup <laughs> and then had to go to another backup for the daytona well, 500 that was I what know. i was planning too trust me the second one i think it was during the duel when you crashed i had I hadn't even thought about the fact that like, well, she's got to race her, like she's not locked in. She has to get in. And so I'm like, oh no, I'm just praying the whole time that race is going on. I totally put out of my mind what my result was going to be that day. I'm like, please make, let her make the race. Please let her make the race. Because After you crashed me? <laughs> yes. Thanks to I'm Kurt like, Busch, I did. I know, I know. Uh, and so, yeah, that was a relief. But I knew as soon as I got out of the car, uh, I turned around. I was like, I saw you stomping down pit lane. And I'm like, well, you got to just take it. And so for me, it's, it's, it is different because I'm like, you know, if it was a guy and he grabbed me by, I was like, you know, I'm like, Hey, let's talk, you know, but for you, I'm like, I got you sit here and take it, sit here and take it. Yep, if she kicks you it, in the I balls, understand. take it. I, I got to just take this in stride. And so, uh, there was just, there was no way for me to win in, in the public perception when you were coming up <laughs> to me. I'm like, yeah, I can't turn her away. I can't argue back with her. I just, I got to be a, a man here and just take it like a man. Were you scared at all? Um, yes and no, because I, I just, I knew that we had had a relationship, you know, as friends for a while leading up to that. So I, I knew that like, you're yelling at me because you care and you're yelling at me because you're comfortable enough around me to voice your opinion. And you know me enough that I will take it and hear it. So looking back at the scenario, you think, I think you told me like, you're too loose. I, I, I didn't do anything yep. wrong. You're just too loose. Let's just be really honest. Like, tell me like the serious, what really was going on in your head? Like, is that a fact or was it something else? Well, I, I do think your cars were too loose. Yes. I, I, I it's just so interesting when I watch some of these cars, like Hendrick cars and stuff and like how loose they run their cars during, you know, speedway races. I'm like, gosh, I can't even get the whole way. I'm going to make you go faster is me pushing you. And if I can't push you, then like, you know, you're not, I'm not going to help you. I'm just going to try to dump you every chance that I get. Um, I always try to push people that I feel like are very stable, their cars are stable, and I can hit them without them spinning out. But there's just a group of cars, and, and it was, and I think at the time, you know, might have had a Hendrick Alliance. I'm not really sure. But um, yeah, it's just they always run their cars so loose that it, it just, it's really hard to work with them. And so, uh, you know, even to this day, it's, it's kind of the same old thing. But you know, I, I wanted to help, but honestly, you know, it was just a mistake that that I made. And I've made so many in the course of my career, um, you know, making aggressive moves to, you know, I've always learned. And if you ever hear Dale Jr. say, um, you know, the way he's found success on super speedways is being selfish. And and yeah. I'm not the greatest teammate on, on, on super speedway races. I found success by doing for myself. Um, and so it, the, the this year's Daytona 500, I committed to pushing my teammates. So I'm thinking in my head, oh, I shouldn't be here. I, this is a spot I don't want to be in. I see cars starting to 
get riled up and a wreck is coming and I'm like, I should just bail. But I told these guys I would stick with them and I didn't bail. Bam, I got crashed. And so I just feel like that type of racing, you have to be a little bit selfish, uh, but you have to make aggressive moves. And sometimes that comes at other people's expense. Yeah. I'm th- I'm glad. Thank you for confessing that you dumped me. I, I did. I did. I yeah. You, you know what I look at it like is that you as a driver, we as drivers, whatever, we know when we leave no room for air because we just don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And you don't really care if you hit someone. And that to me feels like a lot of times the scenario people put themselves in is and they're, is they're just like, I'm leaving. I don't care. I really don't care. You know, I, tr- I tried to be, I feel like on the spectrum of super aggressive and super passive, I honestly feel like I'm on the passive side of my aggression level. I mean, my team tells me all the time, like, you got to hit that hole. You got to, you got to, you got to be more aggressive. Like we feel like we could win more races if you're more aggressive. And I'm like, I get it. But you know, to me, there's no art to passing by just knocking someone out of the way. Like that's not, I was raised by watching some of the greatest short track racers, like work over someone and, and save their tires and then blow past them in the long run and pass them. And I was like, that's how I emulated my style. Now, of course I've made mistakes along the way. I've wrecked people for sure. None have been intentional except for sort of one, not you. No, no. Chase Elliott, 2017, Martinsville, no intentions of wrecking him. I was just trying to knock him out of the way, but he spun. And then, you know, it tainted my, you know, legacy with the Chase Elliott crowd from this point on. They just can't, they can't get rid of it. They can't get over it. But it's like, you know, we all make mistakes because we're in a business where we run right up next to each Mm -hmm. other. And we have to Mm -hmm. manipulate sometimes that other person's car to get speed out of ours. And so, I feel like I'm I'm kind of on the passive side, but there's always been moments. I've been doing this for 18 years. So if I have a handful of, of moments where I've really crashed someone, you know, that's that's not bad. Don't be bitter. It's okay. Do you think NASCAR should not intervene with retaliations and crashing? Because it always feels like NASCAR gets after the retaliation and not the initial. They they set a precedence when Matt Kenseth wrecked Joey Logano. Oh, yeah, um, that was so exciting, though. It, it's so I mean, exciting. I got car, totally we heard, screwed it. We heard the crowd, right? I mean, we heard the crowd going nuts when it happened. For those who don't know... He was, uh, Matt Kenseth was taken out by Joey Logano and he needed to get through to the chase by winning. And he was in the lead. He took him out. And then the next weekend at Martinsville, nothing happened while he was up there, uh, up in the mix for top three, top five. But then once he was a lap down, he waited and came back up on track. And when the green flag dropped at the end of the race, he just freaking dumped Joey. And I, I for one, am joyful about that because Joey's a jackass on the track. He also is another one that I don't like probably more than you even. Um, but he crashed me too. And, um, he's just a little punk out there. Look at, just look at his track record. Just look at how many people have a beef with him. Yeah. It's tough because Joey's, you know, on that spectrum I'm talking about, he's all the way on the full end, right? You know, he is very aggressive and it's been successful for him, but ultimately, I mean, sometimes you care about friends, sometimes you don't. And, and, you know, it's not just that, but I feel like at that time, yeah, Kenseth had had enough, and he oh, said, yeah. "I'm, I'm just, I'm destroying you. I'm making sure you don't make another corner." 
And NASCAR suspended Matt over that. And their reasoning was is that we never have stepped in like this before, but Matt wasn't on the lead lap. He slowed down and yeah. waited for Joey to come by and he just de deliberately smashed him. So they said, you know, it's fair game as long as you're racing for position. So we're racing up front. Um, it's kind of fair game. And we saw it with Ross Chastain and myself earlier this year. I mean, we were I racing one, that. two. Yeah. I mean, he, he's crashed me multiple times this year and I've always said, you know, it, it will come back around in due time. And, and, you know, I had one opportunity so far that, uh, you know, lent itself to me. We were battling for the race win at Pocono and I just left him zero room and, and essentially let him wreck himself in that scenario. And, and, you know, if I'm him, I know that, okay, I've, I've done this guy wrong. He's probably going to force me high. I probably should check up. He didn't check up and just ran himself right into the fence. But um, it was just NASCAR was okay with that because we're racing for position. Now, if I had slowed down and just took him out, I think that they have an exception right. for that. But, but the problem I think they is they need to let it go and let us continue to police it because otherwise, you know, it's just going to be a bunch of penalties and that's not going to be fun for anyone. Well, the problem I have is that if you're racing for position, then you have something on the line. And so it doesn't seem fair. Like, you know, if they took you out, you might probably might not be on the lead lap anymore if something happened. So then they get to be up there, but then you have to wait until you have something on the line again. Yeah. And that's bullshit. I think you should get the chance. I think that you should just, if it all self-policed itself out there, it would all <laughs> yeah. be taken care of and it would get back to like, rough and rowdy like you know nascar just like let it rip i think i yeah. love fights though like i was just so <laughs> excited when one was happening and i could hear one or a red flag would come out and i heard the crowd i'm like on the radio i'm like Gosh, i know there's a fight what's going on it's yeah it's it's different i mean i tried to a little bit when he wrecked me the first time at gateway it, you probably saw highlights of me running around 30 miles an hour swerving back and forth like slowing him down like he almost got disqualified from the race for not making minimum speed i was one lap away from keeping him from running minimum speed which would have got him dq'd and i i knew that i couldn't being a lap down I, I my car was beat up i knew that i couldn't make contact with him but i i didn't want him to know that so i just every time he was around me i would take a swipe here and there uh just to voice my anger because i knew that we weren't going to talk afterwards and um it was just uh you know he he understands where i stand in it um we've we've raced each other pretty well since those couple of instances but um you know you still you drivers always keep a scorecard in the back of their head for sure for sure is he is would he you call him your biggest rival right now in the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Oh. It always changes. It's not fair. Like sometimes you have the one, but you're all depending on how fast your car is and the year, you know, you're yeah. kind of racing against different people at spurts of time. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, I went to actually after the first incident, I went to breakfast with Ross and, and had a conversation with him. Wow. I know I, you know, I just wanted to kind of hear what, where's the mindset? Like, 
you know, what happened, right? And so I listened to him and I started to realize, and we talked about this values and how you grew up. Like my style was that work someone over and you, you know, if you can't work them over, then you sit behind them and wait on them to burn their tires up and then you pass them. And his honestly was a lot different. His was like, he said, I, I came into this short track series where everyone just knocked each other out of the way. And I went on the racetrack and, and I was in the lead and someone knocked me out of the way. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the way that we race. And so that's the way he started doing it. And so um, I just told him that, you know, listen, I'm not saying my way is right and your way is wrong. But we have to figure out how to coexist because, you know, your way and my way, we're likely going to be on the racetrack around each other a lot because we're both up front a lot. So how can you, you know, possibly put it in your mind that, okay, you, you, you've done me wrong and you probably owe me a couple breaks here and there. You don't have to, but if you want to do it again, then you have to know. And I told him, I have to send a message back to the field that I'm done taking it. Like I, you know, I've got wrecked at the, at the Indy road course, which lost me the regular season championship last year. I got knocked out at Martinsville by Alex Bowman. Um, and, and which nearly knocked me out of the final four. He wasn't mm -hmm. even in the playoffs. And I says, you know, I hadn't done anything to them. A lot of the reasons, because I haven't even been racing around them that much in a meaningful sure. manner, yeah. but we are going to be racing each other this year in a meaningful manner. And I, at some point I have to send a message back to the field that I'm done taking shit and that I'm not going to be fucked with anymore. And he's like, I understand you have to do what you have to do. We hear each other. And that was it. Do you like doing that? I mean, I hated it personally. Yeah, I hated I it. And I I'm not a I fan of it. I mean, I'm not, I didn't time. reach out and, and, and extend the olive branch, right? He did. And so, you know, the right no, thing. No, I mean like crashing each other. I mean like crashing someone, like having to sort of like send a message to the field that you can't be messed with. I, I just, I sucked at it and I didn't love doing it. Well, even I did a terrible job the first few times I tried to crash him. Uh, I always said Ross is one of the toughest people to ever crash. Like when he knows it's coming, like <laughs> he's really tough. I mean, he knows how to slow down the right areas yeah. to get to him. Um, but you know, it's just, I, I don't like that. I like to concentrate on, you know, going out there, getting the best finish that I can. And, and yeah. honestly, if I let someone occupy my thoughts in the middle of a race, um, it's not going to optimize mm. my day. And at Pocono, trust me, when it's 10 laps to go, we're on a restart. He's on the outside. I'm on the inside. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to win this race. And not only am I going to win, I'm going to make sure he doesn't win because I owed him one. Right. And so, uh, it kind of worked out perfectly right up until our car got DQ'd. Uh, but you know, it just, uh, things just find their way to work themselves out. We race each other every single week and it all, whatever goes around comes around eventually. Yeah. The fines don't really do that much. You no. kind of end up having to work it out anyway. Um, the probations even like they, the, it's all just kind of, I don't know. I have yet to see what NASCAR does with that money that they make us pay them. And I've paid a couple <laughs> hundred over the years. Boat money. Uh, boat Boat money. Yacht, yacht fuel. Yeah, really, just to get to the Bahamas and back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you were talking about teammates. Um, do you have a favorite? Uh, I, I think about this often, and it's probably Matt Kenseth, just because, Aww. yeah, Matt was just such a nice guy and yeah. uh, such a fair teammate. Um, honestly, when I think about 
how fair are my teammates on track? Kyle Busch is actually one of the most fair drivers on the racetrack that I raced around for, you know, 15 years that we were teammates. So um, he's always been super respectful. We've had our run-ins, of course, like most guys do eventually, but I never had one with Matt. He just, you know, great guy. I, he was someone, I, I don't mean to age Matt, but he's someone that I looked up to when I was coming through the ranks is a he was a quiet guy, but he got the job done. And so mm -hmm. I really liked his style of driving and, you know, who he was on and off the track. Yeah. What about a least favorite teammate? You really, I really don't have least favorites. Um, I get along with all of my teammates. Um, now, do I hang out with any of them off the track? No, I do not. Um, I never have, uh, probably never will. I'm just too closed in for that. Uh, but we all have really good professional relationships. Yeah. We, we, we talk to each other when we need to, when it's super important. And when we have information that we need to share with our teammates, I, I'd say probably one of the toughest guys, and, and I wouldn't put this in the core category of worst teammates, but just the toughest guy that I really didn't gel with all that much was maybe Carl Edwards. Um, just because, you know, he's just a different guy. I mean, that doesn't, that's not good or bad. He just was a different guy. And yeah. so, um, I, I, he wasn't, he was a very approachable person, but as a teammate, um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't talk to him that much. What happened which, to him I mean, anyway? I wonder, I wonder often yeah. what Carl Edwards is doing these days. Cause after he kind of got wrecked that last race in the championship at Homestead and he could have won the championship yeah. and then he'd retired and then it was just gone. Poof. I, I think he had enough. I think he was, he was going to win the championship and NASCAR, unfortunately they called a debris caution that they shouldn't have. Um, you know, they've, that was a wake up call. I think even for the sanctioned body that like, we can't be involving ourselves in the championship. Mm. And, and so he had the race one, they called a caution. Um, and he had already been very critical of them calling, you know, these three cautions to begin with. And when it affected him and he ended up getting crashed on the next restart, I think he had just had enough. That's like, enough. No. I always like, thought it was something about like his brain or like injuries. There was like know, rumors. I haven't that. heard any different, right? But I think that in in my mind, this is my opinion that he had he had just he had acquired enough money. He had made enough money. He was happy with what he was doing, um, but he just didn't need this sport anymore. You know, he realized that if I can't win this thing organically and someone is just going to take it away from me, um, why am I, why am I here? Why am I working so hard for the sport that is willing to just take it right from my grasp right at the end, mm. which is, it was a tough deal. It was certainly not good for Carl. And that was the last we saw of him. That's right. Why do people not like Kyle Busch, in your opinion? Uh, abrasive. I think he's just abrasive. Um, he's he's uh, interesting to talk to, for sure. Um, you know, I always say that the Bush brothers, they, they, they have a lot of conspiracy theorists in them. I think that they, they really believe, you know, people are out to get them all the time, which I don't believe is the case. And um, so they always just have that chip on their shoulder. Right. And, and it, so I think that Kyle's just got that personality that really, um, you know, you, you either are going to like him because he goes out there and he performs and he's a badass driver or you hate him because you don't like his attitude out of the race car. 
you know, no one, pretty no one, piss poor. I no mean, one, his attitude outside of the car is pretty piss poor. Yeah. No, one. <laughs> no it's one entertaining because you know, you're going to get something, but he is like, yeah, no one hates Kyle on the racetrack. Like no one's like, he's a dirty driver. He doesn't, you know, he's not good. Or Everyone loves Kyle and what he brings to our sport on the racetrack. It's yeah. just off the racetrack um, that, that has been challenging uh, for Kyle. And I think that honestly, you know, this is why he's, he's, you know, making probably another team move, right. Is that, you know, that it's, he's not, you know, the relationship with, with Hendrick and then with Gibbs isn't, didn't end because of his on-track performance. It right. just, you know, it, it really started to take its toll off the racetrack, I think for the race teams and, um, you know, it was tough, but, you know, I have a ton of respect for Kyle and, and I, I hope he really does well at RCR and really can bring that, program back to championship caliber, uh, like it has in the past. But, um, you know, I, I, I admit every word that I said in, in my goodbyes to Kyle on, on Twitter was true that he certainly made me a better race car driver. He's, he's, a, he's a good person. Uh, he's got a good soul. Um, you know, people just don't always see that because, you know, he, Cause he he's doesn't not, show he's, it. He's not the fan friendly guy. That's going to sit there and stop and sign autographs for 20 minutes. As he walks out of the tunnel, he's just going from point A to point B. And if he, if you catch him on the way, you catch him. If you don't, I don't, he's not going to take any extra time to, to, you know, satisfy you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. What about what did you entertain the idea of asking him about being on your team? I did. Um, did you, I did. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to keep him in the Toyota family because ultimately I believe that he was better within our organization than he was outside. And I'd rather race with him than against him. So I, I did um, speak with Kyle and, and we got, you know, we got some conversations going, you know, the tough part for our organization was that, um, you know, we couldn't guarantee any long-term contract. Uh, I think we could offer something short-term, uh, but with the unknowns of uh, Kurt's, um, status, uh, for next year and the following year, I, I knew that I just needed a placeholder there just in case. And, you know, I told Kyle that like, Kyle, I need you to just to get in the door and then let me work on making it long-term. I, I can make this long-term. Let me work on selling you. If I can't sell you, no one's going to sell you. So I, I really wish he, 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 we could have worked something out, but he needed long-term stability and, and I think that he got that with RCR and I think that he saw it as a lateral move. Um, you know, he saw how competitive the Tyler Reddick has been in the eight car this year. And I think he sees that as an, a chance for him to win right away and to get a long-term deal to, you know, put numbers on the table that he was comfortable with for long-term. Um, but it, it's unfortunate for us to lose him, but you know, I, yes, I, I went after Kyle because I'm, I admire his talent and, and I yeah, feel yeah. like, um, if I would, if I could have, you know, wrapped my arm around him and maybe his brother wrapped his arm around him and said, okay, here's, here's our culture. Here's how we do things. If you can buy into that, then let's, let's, let's talk long-term 12 months from now. But, um, he's like, no, I'm not wearing J's I'm just done. No, I, I think he was into it, but it's just, you have, you know, he was going to take the guaranteed bet, you know, and, and the guaranteed bet was taking something long-term versus, I just think he didn't want to go through this process again as well. Yeah. It sucks. You know, if we, if we didn't have a spot for him in 2024, 
or we didn't want to make it long term. He didn't want to go through this whole free agency all over again. Uh, I think it did take its toll on him. How old is he? He's 37 or 38 years old. So he's got a six year runway there that you feel like he could be, you know, fairly competitive and win your races and championships. So it was a, it was a long enough runway, but for us, it just, I couldn't, without knowing what NASCAR's business model will be years from now, I, I, I can't just lock myself in and say, okay, I'm going to be three cars in 2023 or 2024, no matter what, there's still more I need to see that before that I pull that trigger. What, um, what do you think NASCAR needs to do to make it more valuable for the sponsors and kind of get to a place and it might not even be NASCAR's job. I don't know. I don't, I I, like what needs to happen. I mean, there's undeniably a ton of big names that have left in the last four to eight years. Yeah. I I think that the value that the teams get are, are very good. One thing that we noticed right away in the sponsors that we brought in is said, wow, the access in NASCAR is unlike any other. You know, yeah. no, I, we can't go into the locker rooms of another sport and hang out with the drivers or the, the players 20 minutes before they go get in a car, but they can do that in NASCAR. Right. And so um, the access is what makes us unique. And it what really puts us, I think, above any other sport as far as the value. Uh, I know with FedEx, I've been with them for 18 years, and it, that's just been an unheard relationship that that has that's lasted crazy. that long, right? And so it's because they see value in the program. Um, it's they're able to host potential, you know, uh, partners or, or yeah. customers, um, or maybe you know, special VIP customers that have been with their company for many years. Many employees. One of the big things why they got into this sport was a rallying cry uh, from their employees saying. We wanted a NASCAR car to root for on Sundays. And at the time, you know, the, the brown car was out there and they're like, go beat that car. Right. And so uh, it was important to them to, to have a team that was represented that that beat that car. And uh, luckily I was able to get that done for them. But, you know, for us, it's, it's difficult because we are sponsor driven. Our team model and our team business is sponsor driven. Totally. So uh, the bulk of our revenue has to come from sponsors because we don't get the revenue from the league, um, you know, the share in which we we hope to have. So mm-hmm. we have to go to these sponsors and ask for a large number to just get to zero, right? Well, what does NASCAR need to do? What needs to change? Ultimately, it's it's to share the revenue differently. Right. Um, you know, we share in 25% of the, the, money the TV revenue, like um, mm-hmm. where most leagues share in 40 to 50% of all revenue. So that's a big, big difference from what we are. Um, so I think that that would allow us to not have to charge our sponsors so much to get us to zero. Um, we could then- What's a full budget? What's a full budget in, in Cup right now? Know, it's like about a- 20 million to field a good, a, a very good car that runs up front. Um, and and that's, that's pretty firm. That's without a driver as well. Is that so, every race? Is that considering every race? Yeah, that's every race, all the exhibitions and everything. So, you know, for me personally, I think that it's how can we shift the model a little bit to where we don't rely on sponsors to do this um, so much? And how can we, I, honestly, we, if we cut our price point in half for our sponsors, then we probably will have quadruple the interest, right? But it is yeah. pretty expensive. And yeah. the next part of it though, is that there's so many different options, right? It's, they used to not sell patches on, on NBA players uniforms anymore. Right. So now I, I think I read an article where there's, 3,000 different opportunities for a business to 
sponsor in sports where oh, wow. back in the day, right? When, when it was the heyday of sponsorship in NASCAR, you know, if you wanted, if you wanted to be, you know, you couldn't stream, you didn't see it on Twitter. If you wanted to be on a car, you had to be on a, on a race car. Right. And so there's just so many options now that it, that it's gotten diluted and it really forces us to kind of fight and scrounge to, to find the partners, to put it all together. Um, but ultimately I think, you know, down the road, if, if the, if the revenue changes, it puts us such in a better spot to then we, we help build the sport. I mean, look at F1, right? Liberty media came in, they bought it and they said, okay, we're going to share 50, 50 with everyone. And they realized pretty quickly when the teams are healthy, they're the ones that are out there activating. So we're putting up nice chalets and great VIP areas. Those are the things that we need to be doing in our sport. Uh, that the teams right now just can't afford to do. Mm, yeah. Do you think you got in at just the right time as an owner or are you like uh, right or wrong? One of the two, <laughs> it's, either, it's either one or the other for right. sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, ultimately, you know, we, we came into this as a, you know, me and Michael, it was on a whim that, that we started this, um, it happened during COVID. I was sitting at home for eight weeks and I realized pretty quickly that, there's no way I can play golf every day, nor do I want to. So what am I going to really? do with myself? Did you I sick know, of that I, one man tennis match that you got, you have on the putting greens. That's right. That's yeah. You remember that. So I just said, what am I going to do? I knew I wanted to start a business. I didn't know what it was. I actually approached Toyota about buying some dealerships. Um, was that going to be my end goal when I was done racing? But I realized pretty quickly that racing is what I love. I love giving back to the sport and, and making it. I want to make the sport better when I leave than it is when I got here. You and do? Is that really in your heart or are you just saying those it words? It is because it has so much potential. It really, really does. But at times, you know, I, I, I've said this before, it, it's very difficult to tell dinosaurs to eat differently. And, and so how can you get some of these people that have got so stuck in their ways for so many decades to change the way they think to make the sport bigger and better. And you have to open up the ideas and what you have to, um, to make change. And, and NASCAR is starting to do that. They have a really good group in charge right now that are starting to really see the light and, and starting to see that, you know, we have to invest in different areas. We need to invest in our infrastructure. There's no way we should ever go to a racetrack and not have self-service. Like that's just absolutely crazy, right? I mean, we want people to share those those great moments on their Instagram. Burning or their Man Twitter. does not have self-service, just so you know. Well, that's fine because you probably don't want to see that stuff on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> but but you want to if you want to grow the sport, you have to make sure that you have connectivity, a great yeah. infrastructure. People don't want to sit on 95 degree bleachers for four hours right. anymore. They expect cushion seats with a concierge service. They can go to an app and have food brought to them. That's yeah. the way they expect it nowadays. Um, that's just the way that people are. Everything we have, we expect to be better and faster and nicer than it was last year. And I think that it takes a lot of uh, investment and in infrastructure to, to make that happen. So I think that we're starting to see racetracks really spend a lot uh, on their infrastructure, which is very good because you can get people to race one time, but if they don't have a great time and they got to wait in a concession line for oh, 45 yeah. minutes and they don't have any waters, they ain't coming back. And that's, well, that's the problem is we just kind of took advantage of the old race fan for too long. It's true. I mean, I waited 10 hours to go 
a few miles on a dirt road to get to the pavement at Burning Man, 10 hours. And I was the next day, I was like, man, I can't wait to go back next year. Wow. Yeah. But that's, so that's got to make it fun. Acquired, that's an acquired event, right? And I think that you don't have to have all these lush suites and everything. We have places in our schedule for those sweetheart racetracks. North Worksboro, we're bringing back Martinsville. Those are the sweetheart 60 year old racetracks that camp. Campers. That's fine. That all that is fine. You don't have to have great facilities there. That's a place for it. But when we go to Texas, when yeah. we go to Las Vegas, wherever it might be, these huge markets. If you want to bring in big customers and and sponsors, they're going to expect a lot for for what they what they spend. And you better have the amenities that they're used to. What's what's Michael say about that? Michael Jordan, for those who don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's just been a great partner. Uh, of like how did ours. you talk him into this? I know he's into racing. Like he used to be into bikes, right? He did. He ha- he owned a motorcycle team, and so yeah. to circle back, it all started during COVID. And obviously, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And immediately, I asked David Wilson, like, is there any interest in me owning a race team? And, you know, there, JGR was losing uh, LFR. COVID it took its toll on a race team that was a Toyota team. I'm like, can I pick up the pieces of that team? and kind of bring it in and start a new team. And, and wow, were you drunk when you thought of this idea? I, that's what Joe asked me. He's like, are you crazy? Uh, You're making all the money now. Why do you want to go spend it? But um, I just thought that, you know, I wanted to have my say. And and honestly, I I got down to Richard Petty Motorsports and that was a team that I was looking to buy a minority stake in. Um, But ultimately I found that I wasn't going to get the control that I needed, the autonomy to really run it the way that I, thought it needed to be run. And so I'm like, yeah, this isn't the right fit for me either. And Bubba Wallace was a free agent and he had some sponsorship with him. And I'm like, you know, what, what, how can I put all this together? Because Bubba used to be part of the Toyota racing family. And even with Joe Gibbs racing, how can I put all these pieces of the puzzle back together? And so actually a speculative article came out and it said, that Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan were looking to purchase a minority stake in Richard Petty Mercewards, which was absolutely not true. I never even talked to Jordan about this at all. And so um, a lot of it started from the rumors from the ownership at RPM at the time. They had other celebrity people that were looking to buy a minority stake in there. And people just assumed that that celebrity was Michael Jordan because I was friends with him. Absolutely not true. I took this article, the headline, and I sent it to Michael. And I'm like, let's just see what he says here. So I sent it to him and he says, well, that's obviously not true. It's fake news. But if you want to make it real news, let me know. I'm like, okay, how do I respond to this? Now, never forget, I was on the ninth hole at the golf course on my second shot. And I got so fluttered that I left my ball sitting there. I went to the green and they're like, dude, you didn't even hit your shot. And I'm like, oh, I got to go back and get my ball because I'm like, how do I respond to this? And so he says, well, are you going to be a team owner or not? And I says, I'm thinking about it. Why? <laughs> he says, well, if you are and you want a partner, let me know. And I says, when can you meet? He's like, <laughs> anytime. So I says, all right, I'll be there in two days. I got my team at Pro Sport Management to essentially type up a business plan. Here's <laughs> Here's here's how it's going to go. Here's what we need. <laughs> they worked day and night to get me this this business plan to give to him, and I gave it to him. 
And I says, you know, here's the plan. He's like, all right, well, it looks good to me, but it's got to get vetted. So he gave it to his business people. They spent about a month getting NASCAR 101 education on all this. First, they asked, like, are you kidding me? This business model is terrible. I'm like, I know, but it, it could get better. It's possible that it could get better. Either the and best or the worst time in the whole wide world to start. That's right. We will know. We will know. And soon. you guys like to gamble. <laughs> that's correct. And so, uh, you know, listen, for us, we, you know, the, the, we decided to pull the trigger a month later. He says, I'm in. And uh, we started a race team, which has now been 18 months ago. So it's, it's crazy how it all started. We've won, wow. you know, three races in, in the lat in the year and three quarters that we've been in the sport, which is unbelievable. Are you, su are you surprised by that? Cause it's so hard to I mean, win in NASCAR, yeah. let alone when you I just mean, start a team. This is not easy. Beating no. Hendrick Motorsports and Joe Gibbs racing had, that have been around for decades is hard. And the like in, that in they the have, in Ford versus Ferrari, when they make it look like it's people were like, Oh my gosh, is that real? I'm like, it's harder than what they made it look like. Way There's harder. more politics than what they make it look like. I was like, they just built a car to go win at Le Mans. Like that does not happen. I know. So Especially it's so impressive what you've done. Yeah. It's just been crazy because, you know, it is hard to come in here and win. And so for us to have three wins already, it's just been amazing. Um, we're on a trajectory. I told everyone this, this is a five-year plan. I told Michael Curtis, my whole team, this is a five-year plan to be a championship contending organization. Um, that is a real timeline. Now we are only in year 1.8 or so, right? So this is still a building process, but you know, we have some big plans on the horizon that, that we're working on. We're kind of waiting to see where this model goes before we pull the trigger on them. But ultimately I feel like we are going to be a team that wins races on a regular basis every single year, uh, you know, at least a year or two from now. Like I, you know, I, we're already competitive. We're already, listen, in the final, you know, we already punched our ticket in the owner's championship to the next round uh, with Bubba Wallace. So it's just uh, really been amazing the run that we've been on and bringing on Kurt Busch was just one of the best things we ever did. I love Kurt. I think Kurt's a great guy and he's very helpful. He's a very helpful teammate as well. So I'm sure he's been helping in that category. Well, I actually, I'm wondering what is going on with him. Um, but first, first, before I ask that question, um, are you more surprised to be winning races? We'll have won a race in your first year and have three wins at this point in time with that, with not even being completed with the second season, or are you more surprised that it's Bubba? Do you more surprised that Bubba won a couple of times? Oh, that is a great question. I would say that I'm more surprised with Bubba. And I thought he was very good, but I didn't realize the potential that he has. Now, I it, it was a bumpy first 10 months. Trust me with Bubba. It was like, you know, trying to get him to, okay, here, Bubba, here's my process in which I get ready for races. Here's the data that I look at. Here's what I think you need to be studying and it's tough because I expect him to have the same work ethic as me, but like, I can't control him. Right. I can't, all I can do is say, here's, here's the formula that works for me. Hopefully it can work for you. But I realized quickly that like, he needs to be his own person. He needs to do the things that he, he sees correctly. And I'm really, really proud of like how he has progressed as a NASCAR driver. Like, the strides he has taken just in the last 10 months has been unbelievable. He's taken himself what has he done a, to do that. A mid, he's taken himself from a mid pack guy mm -hmm. to someone that runs 
chronically in the top 10 every single week now. And so what do you that do? Is like, it's just been great to watch because he's now yeah. seeing the results of the work that he's putting in. And so it's always tough because if you don't see results from work that you put in, it's easy to quit right away. Right. It's like, I'm not here for the long game. I'm here for the, the immediate gratification. And I think that, you know, we trying to walk them him through this process that here's what it's going to take for you to be better down the road. And here's what you need to be keeping notes on for next time. And I think he's started to do that and started to see great results. And now I think it works like me. Now he's feeding off of it and, and give me more, give me more mm. because he's starting to see results and see his true potential. Wow. Well, good job in teaching him, but it sounds like he just started to work harder. Yeah. I think he, he really started to buy into the, the things that we asked him to do, um, the things that we asked him to study. And, you know, ultimately you have to want it, right? I mean, this is a, that everyone is, is so good. And I've realized in my older age that I have to, I don't have the natural talent that most of these good drivers have. I just, I just work hard. That's just a fact. I feel like I work hard and I work on my craft really hard and, you know, I'm open to new things. If I need to drive things differently, fine. Then, then whatever I need to do to, to get better as a driver, I never have stopped learning as a driver, even 18 years in. And so um, I think that that's what we're trying to instill into our drivers is for them to be the best that they can be. And we're starting to see it. Okay. Let me give you a scenario. So you race for <clears throat> three more years. You get eight more wins, but you don't okay. win a championship. Mm -hmm. Or this year you win a championship and you're done. You're done after this championship when you win and after you win it. Or in three years, you'll have never won a championship and you'll have retired. And you'll, but you'll have like eight more wins, which is a couple, couple more each year, which mm. you're pretty good for. Yeah. I mean, for me, I Come really, on. I know I want to get to 60. I want to get to 60. Wins. Where are you at? 48. Um, you're not there. So you won't make 60. Yeah. But you'll get eight more. You'll race for three more years, but you won't have a championship. Uh, this is tough, but I'm going to take more wins. I'm going to take getting to 60 with no championship. You can't get to 60 though. You get eight more. That's it. But if you're saying I win a championship this year and I'm at 48 yeah. wins and I'm done, I would rather have 60 wins and no championship three years from now, just simply because I value the wins more so uh, and I value the championships less than what I do have in, in years past. Because the way they crown the champion is just a lot yes. different than it used to be. It's just one race now and it's like I've won 60 of those. So what's the big deal, right? We've had champions that have won like 10 races. So yeah, 60 is means like you've had a long career and it's been successful throughout your career. To me, that means more. Um, do I want a championship? Absolutely. I mean, am I tired of hearing about it? Yes, but it doesn't define me. I mean, people know all my competitors know when I hit the racetrack, they're going to have to beat me to go win the race this weekend. And so that's all I care about is, is having the respect for my peers that I am one of the best, regardless of whatever I have in that stat column of a championship. So it's safe to say that your first goal is getting to those 60 wins in your career and your second goal is a championship. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you know, for me, people always ask, well, how does it work if you 
if you race a car and you have a team that you race against, how is that not a conflict? And I always say, well, ultimately, I want to win for me more than I want them to win for me. Like I get more gratification if I'm the one winning versus someone winning for me. So my perfect scenario every week is me win and then finish second and third. Like that's perfect for me. Um, when when Bubble won and I finished second, honestly, I was I, I was in a funk that day. I was just in a bad mood because I felt like our team lost out on winning a race. And like, you know, I had to shape myself and say, wait a minute, we just won as a team. Like this is huge and and so awesome for Bubba. And so it took me a few hours to get over that. But yeah, it's just it's so different. And I just feel like I love what I do. I don't see any, I don't see a timeline for me stopping uh, as long as I stay competitive. I'll never go out there and just know that I can't win any given week. If, if I, if I hit the racetrack and I'm 43 years old and I'm like, I need to, I'm just hoping for a top 10 today. I'm fucking done. I will not do it just to collect a paycheck and go out there and make laps. Well, I mean, that kind of leads to an interesting conversation, little conversation about what, 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 what is it that puts a, an athlete into retirement? Like why, like explain the situation, like how does it happen? Why does it happen? What ends up making the decision? Why does it always seem so sudden? Like un, unpack yeah. what it ends up getting a re- driver to retirement because. <sighs> yeah. Drivers is different than I think other sports. Um Yeah. Sometimes you get forced out. I mean, other sports that happens as well. Like they believe in the young guy and they don't have enough runway with you. Right. Uh, in NASCAR, I think that. I think it's largely financial driven because eventually the team puts enough compression on you to say, like, man, is it do I want to keep doing this schedule for keep taking less, 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 less like. No, I don't. I want to end on a good note. I always, I sit on the Dale Jr. download. I'm like, yeah, I want to win my last race. And you brought that up. Like, would you win the championship and be done? I said, I wanted to win my last race. And so whatever it takes for me to win my last race, um, that's, that's what I want to do. And I never want to let my skill set deteriorate where I don't have a chance to do that. So um, I think, you know, it's amazing to see people like Mark Martin and Kevin Harvick's I think Kevin Harvick's 46 or 47 and he's won two races this year. Now I would say, is he as sharp as he was five years ago? No, but he's, he is a guy that works hard. He's got a great team and a great crew chief. So they continue to win. So I think that's what fuels him. But I think if he was 38, 40 years old, he'd probably win 10 races every year. Like he has, you know, just a few years ago. But I think that eventually our, our reaction time declines. And you know as well as I do, you have to have really good reaction time. Your hand-eye coordination, your your brain says to do something, and your 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 hands and your feet don't react in the same time as it used to. And ultimately, the financially, it just doesn't make sense to do it anymore. And I always said to Joe Gibbs Racing, the minute you think I am an I am a liability to your bottom line and not an asset, let me know, because that that will be the message to me that you don't see the value in me no longer as more than just a driver, right? I bring an alliance. I, you know, have a great relationship with FedEx that, that, that has been strong. You know, I bring a lot to the competition side right now. They still see me as an asset when they look at what they spend, what they spend on Denny Hamlin is an asset. And they still believe that 
there will be a time down the road where they're like, can we get that off of our books? Like, because we believe that he's not bringing in what he was uh, years from now, whether it be performance or whatever. All right. Well then what's on, what's on your list? Like there's gotta be stuff you're thinking. I for sure thought this like of things that I wanted to do when I was done. What's on the list other than Burning Man? Jimmy Johnson did go to Burning Man for a few days, one year. Jimmy and Jeff and those guys, they they venture out more than I do. I'm I'm really jealous of how outgoing they are and trying to help things. you. I know, I know, I know. Um Bring Jordan. Like, Everybody knows she's your girl. Let's go. I, I know it. I feel like every time I start to think about it, I'm like, well, I'll just do that when I'm retired because it's it's five years out, it's six years out, whatever. Like I'll still be fine. Okay. But what are those things? It's it's traveling. Like I want to go to Australia, and I've never been. I, I haven't been like across the pond anywhere. Like I just been here. You've been to Europe? No, never been. So I just want to get out and try some different things. My kids are at the age they're really starting to get into theater, especially Taylor. Uh, Molly will be getting into something, you know, a few years from now that like I, I don't want to miss. So I think that's probably. Some of the reason guys retire as well is the family, right? You, you totally. can't miss. Look at Tom Brady. You can't miss some of these important moments, right? And so uh, I hate that I don't get to see some of the soccer games that that Taylor plays. And um, she's always like, you know, why are you always working? And even during the week, right? It's like, hey, I got to go. Sorry, I got to go to a meeting. I got to go to the shop. I got to go here. And she's like, why do you have to do it? You should just quit racing. I'm like, Taylor, I can't do that. That's how I've, we afford to do all this stuff that we do. And you have the toys that you have is because I work hard. And so you're like, daddy has a full basketball court in his house. Okay. Daddy <laughs> listen, has a nothing, lot to pay for. Nothing pisses me off than hearing my kids say they're bored. I'm like, if you, if <laughs> there's if a bowling alley in this house. Yeah. With a bowling alley, basketball court, you know, you got go-karts you can go ride like all this stuff drives me crazy. But uh, I try my best to keep them as humble as I can and not spoil them. But I, I, I love seeing the joy when like, you know, I can make a difference and do something nice for them. So you want to travel? I want to travel a little bit and I really want to concentrate on building the race team. I mean, if I'm going to build a new, a championship contending organization in five years, I need to designate blah, more blah, time. Blah, 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 blah. I love stuff. working, but I love working. I mean, I don't do vacations well. I don't turn my brain I off know. like I should. So that is a challenge for me is that I'm a good three-day vacation guy. That's at that point. Then I'm like, okay, what am I missing? What meeting am I missing? I'm sure they need an answer on something. I know. I just like to be hands I need to go back to therapy day. for that one. I know. I got to let go. I, I get it. I got to live in the moment. I, I need to decompress and relax. Listen, it's taking its toll on my sleeping, everything. So it's just, I really, I know that I still got to grow as a person, um, but I'm still in that process. I'm never stuck in my ways and, and I'm, I'm more educated now that I'm able to change uh, than I ever have. And so I'll continue to change every year from this point forward. Well, Denny 2.0 has come a long way and Denny 3.0, when Denny can go on a week long vacation <laughs> without getting ants in his pants will be another version 3.0 and you'll get there. You'll totally I'm get there. For it. I mean, excited. I don't do anything. I got sweatpants on right now underneath <laughs> all this might walk my dogs, you know, you'll get there. Yeah. I promise. All right. Well, thank you. Good luck. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.